good morning. Good morning. It is good to be here. Well, this week, my wife and I went blackberry picking, and I came to a realization. I hate blackberry picking. <laughs> I, it's just the worst. Now, maybe that's overly dramatic. I, I don't know. I, but I really don't think it's worth it. Right? If, if, if you... If you actually think about what this activity all involves, it just doesn't quite seem worth it to me. The first thing you do is you get as close as you possibly can to a thorn bush. That already is a problem in terms of activities to choose to do. But then what you're going to do is you're actually going to take your hands, you know, the hands you use for everything in your life, and you're going to stick them into a thorn bush. And you're going to try as best you can to grab one of the berries and pull it out without stabbing yourself. All right? Now repeat that process for the next hour, and that's what blackberry picking is. Right? It hardly seems worth it to me. Now my wife, she tries to convince me that, no, this is actually a good thing to do. She'll say, you know what, but you got to think about it this way. Right? We are getting fresh, local, organic produce, and it's all free. And my answer is, yeah, it's still not worth it, right? <laughs> the truth is, I, I just don't actually like blackberries that much. The, the taste, the, I, I don't hate them. I don't hate them. I don't hate them before you turn on me. <laughs> but the truth is, I, I don't often miss it when it's gone, right? And so it becomes this cost-benefit thing for me, right? As we were picking these blackberries, I was doing this cost-benefit analysis in my head, and I was thinking through, okay, well, the cost is pretty high, right? I'm standing in thorns, I'm getting scratched all the time, and the benefit is only about here. And so it, for me, it just didn't make it worth it. However, if instead we were picking something like raspberries, oh, suddenly now I'm all on board. In fact, I'll spend all day picking raspberries, even though, in essence, we're doing the same thing. You're standing right next to a thorn bush. You're sticking your hands into the thorns. But, but for me, the benefit is so much higher, all right? It, it's because I, I love raspberries. That, that would be the fruit I would eat during summer if I could all the time, right? It's, it's the benefit suddenly jumps up way, way higher for me, and so I'm willing to go through that same cost. Right? And it's the same thing for, for a lot of decisions that we make. We, we try and understand, is the cost worth the benefit? Right? We, we make that decision when we're buying groceries, when we're buying a car, when we're buying a house. We're always thinking, as the cost goes up higher, is there enough benefit for me to make this worth it? Right? And it's the same reason... It's the same principle that's going on when, when athletes train, right? Athletes will spend a long time training, exercise, exercising, in essence, hurting their body because they have a goal, right? And they're saying all of that time, practice, and energy is worth the benefit at the end. The prize is worth all of the struggle to get there, right? And that's really what our passage is about this morning, the Apostle Paul is going to write to the Philippian church, and he's going to talk to them about what the prize is at the end of the day, and he's going to call them, you know what? It's actually worth the cost. So if you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to open to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 12 as we finish off the second half of this chapter. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, here is what the Word of God says. 
Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Well, that's as far as we're going to read this morning. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, we we thank you for your word, that you speak to us, that you remind us, and that you call us even to consider the cost and to consider the prize at the end. Lord, I, I pray as we work through your word, would you impress on our lives, on our hearts, a a desire to, to press on, to know you, to pursue after you more and more each day. Lord, would you give us faithful examples of what this looks like that we might pursue after it with our eyes fixed on that prize, on the goal that you have set in front of us. Father, I pray now as we work into your word, would you work these things into our hearts. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we are really looking at at part two of of what we looked at last week. If you are here with us, you'll know that we began this chapter three, and and Paul is reminding the church about something they already knew, right? And and as we worked through this passage, we we saw Paul lays out his, his resume, Right? We get to see all of Paul's big accomplishments, his, his, uh, his good works that would earn him a place with God. And so he lists them all out in, in, in detail and, and talks about all these things that would endear him to God. And at the end of that list, what does he say? All of these things are worthless. They are rubbish. They are filth. It's disgusting. None of this will actually help me before God. None of these things will actually get me to heaven. And so he comes to the conclusion the only thing that he can trust in is Jesus Christ himself. Because Jesus is the one who lived that perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins by which we can be forgiven. That is the only hope that anyone has. Nothing that we can do. Everything about what Jesus has done. That is what Paul's talking about. And I said today here is really part two of that because Paul wants us to understand the other half. See, if you want to think about it, that's how to, to get saved. The other half is what do you do when you are saved? Because here, here there's a likely misunderstanding, right? There's a very likely misunderstanding that, that we'll hear that message and think, okay, it's nothing about what I can do. I can't earn my way to God, so it really doesn't matter what I do. I just sit on the couch and play video games till Jesus comes back, right? And Paul actually says, hold on a minute. 
That's not the outcome that I was actually looking for. In fact, that's not the outcome of what this looks like. This isn't an excuse for laziness. Actually, it's a call to press on, to keep going. So this morning, I want us to see that that second half, what it looks like to press on in the Christian life, what examples we should be looking out for and what we should avoid, and finally, that prize that is set before us. So let's look at what does it mean to press on in the Christian life. Verse 12, look back at it with me. Paul has been talking about how he is striving to be like Jesus, and he says, verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul says, look, look, it's not as if when, when, when I was saved, suddenly I became perfect. No, no, actually... Paul says, I didn't become perfect, but that is what I am striving for. Paul says, I press on. I am pursuing that goal. And actually, when you you read this, do you notice what he's saying? He is pursuing the goal of perfection, that he's actually disciplining himself. He's pursuing it. He's working in his life. He's changing things so that he might actually be perfect. Now, the Bible is going to tell us that actually none of us are going to make it there. Not, not on this side of heaven. In heaven, yes, but not on this side. And, and yet, Paul says, that is my goal. And right off the bat, I, I find that very convicting, just to my own heart. Because if I can be honest here, I think for the most part, I don't aim for perfection. I aim for pretty good, Right? I want to be pretty good. I I want to be, you know what, I've I've been a pretty good person. No, I'm not perfect, but the truth is I'm never going to be perfect, and Jesus accepts me just the way I am, so so pretty good seems enough, right? We have all kinds of excuses for this kind of thing. Jesus accepts me. Jesus loves me, and you know what? It's not about my works, right? That's what Paul's just said. He's just said your works won't earn your way to heaven, so it's not about my works, so it really doesn't matter then what I do. And as I was working through this this week, I just realized that's my own heart trying to be or trying to justify its own laziness. Ah, pretty good's enough. Paul says, I I am pressing on actually to the perfection, to the image of Jesus. That, That when Peter says you are to be holy as God himself is holy, that is what Paul is looking for. That he's actually striving on for that goal. But But let's back up and ask the question, well, why? If Jesus saves us and it's not about our works, why should I press on? Why should I do that? Why should I pay the cost? Well, Paul actually answers that for us in verse 12. Look back at the second half. He says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. For Paul, the reason why he has to pursue and to fight on and to, you know, actually give effort into all these things is because Jesus has taken hold of his life. Now, I'll be honest, at first glance, I look at that and I think, is that a reason? Right? Pursue after Jesus because Jesus has you. I don't actually pursue after things that I have. Right? So, so how exactly does this function as, as a reason to be pursuing in the Christian life? Why is this a reason? Well, let me give you two parts 
of this reason. Paul says he is going to press on to the image of Christ. Why? Because Jesus has grabbed hold of his life and will not let him go. And so he says, so every time I try, every striving that I put in, every effort I do, I know is going to be successful. Why? Because Jesus has a hold of me. So that I know every time that I try and work for God, it's not going to be in vain. Rather, Jesus has a hold of my life, so I know it's going to be fruitful. Right? Take the example of, of an athlete. Right? Athletes train to go to the Olympics for years. Right? They spend tons of their time, their free time, training in order to one day make it to the Olympics. They're going to spend maybe a decade or more you know, working themselves to be able to get there. And the truth is, some of them do this for years and years and years. And they get to the Olympics, and on the qualifying round, they slip and it's all over. Right? All that time, all that energy was wasted because not only did they not get to the podium, which only a very few ever get there, they didn't even get to make it past their qualifying. See, that's the truth. When, when you're doing athletics, you're not guaranteed an outcome. Paul says, you know why I press on? Because I know Jesus has a hold of my life. That means that I can press on to know him all the more, that it will not be in vain, that my efforts will not be futile. Actually, they're going to be fruitful. That's actually going that all of these things that I'm working towards are actually going to work. See, that's the first half. But you might still say, but why is he working? Why is he working after this? If you're not earning your way, why? What, what, what is, what's his reason behind it? Well, let me give you this illustration. I think a good parallel to this is adoption. So put yourself in the shoes of a child being adopted. It's a pretty strange thing when you think about it, right? As a child to be adopted into this new home, new family, essentially, you are strangers, right? Maybe you've met them a couple times before, but, but you really, you're strangers to these new parents that you're going to have, and at some point, a judge is going to come in, he's going to bang a gavel down and say, you're now family. And you're going to go home, and, and you are a family, that's it. It's been declared. You are a family. It's legally so. But after that, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have to actually learn how to be a family. You're going to have to learn what, it, what does it mean to now get to know the, these new parents, to go from, from that stranger kind of relationship to say, actually, that's mom and dad. How, does, how do you get to know what it means to, to live as a part of this family, to, to, to function well together? All of that, you are pursuing what has already been declared. See, that's the image that, that Paul is working from here. He is pursuing what God has already declared to be. God has declared him to be righteous, blameless, faultless, and Paul says, I am working to be a part of that. I have been made a member of God's family, and so now I'm pursuing, I am living that out. Right? It's the difference between working for salvation and working from salvation. Paul already has the assurance that he is secure in Christ, so he can be pursuing all of these things, not to earn his place in the family, but because he is part of the family. 
Now he can strive and make these steps forward and actually pursue it, knowing that God is with him and it will be, and he will succeed in it. See, that's the reason Paul has. God has taken hold of his life. And so he is going to press on with everything he has to know Christ more and more, that his life might be more like Jesus himself. It's not an excuse for laziness at all. Actually, it's a reason to continue on. It's a good reason to fight for these things. So the question is then, what does that actually look like? What does it look like to, to be pressing on, to be straining forward? Well, well, the rest of this passage is essentially unpacking that for us. So look at verse 13 with me. It says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. I'm not perfect. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, first of all, it looks like this. It's forgetting and it's straining. Right? I love that he says that's one thing, right? And then lists two things right away. Right? But really what they are is that it's, it's the same. It's two halves of the same coin. He's leaving behind his, his sin. He's leaving behind all the things in his past and he's straining forward. Right? He says, I, I can leave behind my failures. I can leave behind my, my sin and all of these things that would hold me back. They no longer affect me. They no longer hold me back from following after God. See, that is the good news. That is the message of the gospel, that when we come to God, we confess our sins and we repent of them. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. See, that's the promise God makes to us, that when we come to him, we find forgiveness, that our sin doesn't hold us back from coming to God again and again. God isn't holding it over our heads, saying, hurry up, get better. Actually, that we are forgiven. Now, hear me, that, that doesn't mean we, we have no consequences to our sin. It doesn't mean that we just get to say, I'm sorry, and then everything else is gone. No, 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 that's not what he's talking about. Right? Clearly, we still have to deal with some of the consequences of our sin. There's this beautiful story about a man who comes to know Jesus. And he, in his past life, had committed a number of crimes that had never been reported or he had never been caught for. And he comes to Jesus and he realizes he needs to actually confess these things. And so he goes to the police station and they end up arresting him and actually putting him into jail. When they asked him about it, he said, I am going to jail a free man. See, that's the truth. It, the past wasn't actually going to hold him back from following after Jesus. No, the past was behind him. It was forgiven in Jesus. Yeah, he had to deal with consequences, but he was free in it. Right? Our failures do not hold us back from knowing God. And so Paul says, then forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. See, here's the thing. Paul says we actually need to put some effort into it. Right? He says strain forward, press on. These are active words that he uses to describe this process. I think a lot of times we expect it to be very passive, don't we? We expect that time will simply pass and we will somehow grow in our faith that without putting any real effort in, that it's somehow going to happen. Paul doesn't think that way. 
because it doesn't happen that way. Actually, Paul says, I want you to press on, pursue after this, discipline yourself for this goal so that you can actually achieve it. Put some effort in, put some holy sweat across your brow, right? It means actually we need to look at ourselves. It's actively seeking to change your life to be like Jesus, right? It means we actually have to look at our lives, our habits, our routines that exist, we need to inspect them, say, say, are there hidden sins that I'm allowing to just continue on in my life because it's too difficult to actually deal with them, right? The swear words that, that tumble out of my mouth, the TV that I, I kind of just use as a numbing mechanism, the movies I probably shouldn't really watch, but it's, a, it's an escape for me. Right? There are all kinds of things, whether they're even good or bad, that can hold us back from following after Christ. Paul says, I want you to strive. I want you to actually press on so that you could get rid of those sins in your life, so that you would actually change to see yourself imitating Jesus in his holiness, even in his perfection, straining forward to know Christ more even making those changes when they're painful, when it calls us to put our hand into a thorn bush, metaphorically. Right? It takes effort to actually be a Christian. In fact, Paul says, for those of you who've been a Christian for a long time, you know this is the case. Verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Paul says, look, if you're mature, if you've been through the Christian life for some time, you know this is the case. You have to continually be working on it. It's not something that, that you finish at some point. Actually, it's something you're continuing to work on. Right? When I was younger, I, I, I knew I had sins in my life that, that were a problem. I knew they had to get dealt with. But in my mind, as soon as I dealt with those you know, two, three big sins, I'd be good. Right? That was the only thing that was wrong in my life. And by God's grace, I was able to deal with some of those. And you know what? I came out on the other side and I realized, oh, there's a lot more sin down there. Right? In fact, that's, that is the experience of the Christian life. God in his wisdom only allows us to see so many. So once we can fight through and deal with it, then we can continue on to the next one. I think if God were to actually reveal every single sin in our lives, we would be utterly and completely overwhelmed. But the Christian life is one of continually fighting against sin. Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, he says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul says it's like two laws, two things fighting inside of him. Every time he tries to do something good, he finds his own sinful nature holding him back. And here's where we need to be reminded just once more. It's not about our efforts. It's not about us working our way to, you know, be right with God. It is all about what Jesus has done. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Right? Paul knows even in this striving, we can get ourselves confused. We can get ourselves off track and start doing these things because it's all about us. No, actually, in all of this striving, what we're doing is we're holding on to what Jesus has given us. 
We are pressing on each and every day, turning our lives to be more and more like Jesus, not to work for our salvation, but to work from our salvation because he has made us part of his family. Right? It's a high calling, the calling to be perfect even in your life. And yet Paul understands that it's a high calling, and he doesn't expect us to do it alone. Actually, Paul gives us a number of examples to be following along. Look back at verse, chapter, or verse 17. Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul says, I, I know that this is a difficult thing, so you can actually watch my life. Watch how I follow Jesus. Look at how I, I deal with these different things. Now, you might say, well, that, that's a pretty bold statement, Paul. Right? That, that's a pretty, pretty almost arrogant thing. Yes, I am the example of, of what it looks like to follow Jesus. But remember, Paul has just said he isn't perfect. Multiple times, he has just said, I'm not perfect. What Paul is saying is here is not, I'm the perfect example, but, but as I do follow him, follow my example. And then he says, now look around you to others who have also followed after him. Right? Earlier in the book, we looked at Timothy and Epaphroditus, these two men in the congregation. Paul says, you can watch their life. Look at how they follow Jesus and imitate that. In fact, it's, it's a good thing to be doing. Keep your eyes fixed on them. The book of Hebrews puts it this way. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Right, Paul, or Paul, the writer of Hebrews says, we are called to imitate those uh, who have walked the Christian life well. Right? You can say, have heroes of the faith, have people that you can rely on, right? that you can watch how they go through grief, how they go through trial, how they go through loss and tragedy, how they go through joy and celebration, how they glorify God and how they fight against sin. Watch how that happens and imitate their faith. Right? It's a good idea. I, someone once gave me the, the advice, it's always good to have dead heroes, Right? because you know the outcome of their way of life. You can see the end and uh, how they got there and imitate them well. See, I think we do ourselves a disservice when we have no idea about the people who have run the Christian life before us. Right? We're, we're almost handicapping ourselves when we never look back into church history and say, how did these saints follow well? Right? So I want to encourage you, learn about guys like, like, like Polycarp, Felicita and Perpetuous, or uh, Perpetua and Felicitas, guys like Tertullian, Athanasius, John Chrysostom, Augustine. Find out about how Thomas Aquinas thought of God. Learn the courage of men like Johann Huss, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Ulrich Zwingli, John Wycliffe, who gave his life so that we could actually read the Bible in English. Right? Do you know about the, the piety, the devotion of Jonathan Edwards or George Whitfield or the Wesley brothers? Have you heard about how Spurgeon dealt with crippling depression? Do you know about the zeal of men like Adoniram Judson, William Carey, or Hudson Taylor? There's so much we can learn from those who have run the race well, and we can see the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, this isn't to say we shouldn't have living 
heroes or examples around us. Actually, we should. We should find people even in this church who can, who can actually show us how they have walked through so many of the things that we deal with. We should find people who can speak into our lives and imitate their faith. Right? The truth is, we do follow people. Whether we like it or not, we all follow the example of someone. It's why on social media, there are things called influencers, people, right? Because people follow their example, and companies know about that, and they're happy to monopolize on it. The truth is, we have to consider, who are we following? Who are we actually, uh, whose example are we actually looking at? Right? We can have good examples, and there are plenty of bad ones. Verse 18, Paul says, For many of whom I have told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul wants to warn the Philippian church, choose your example well. Right? There are plenty of those who are not great examples to follow. Avoid them, people whose, whose God is their belly. Right? I, I don't know if Paul was referring to something specific here. He may have been. There was a Roman custom where they used to eat as much as they possibly could, then, then purge, then eat, purge, eat, right? and continue on. So maybe Paul was talking about that. Avoid that example, but I think the general principle stands. Avoid the example of people whose every desire, every appetite dictates how they live. Right? The truth is, even at a practical level, that doesn't work. I'd be eating junk food every single day if I did that. Right? Do not follow after that example. Don't follow after the example of those who, who glory in their shame, who brag about all the awful things they do. I hear this all the time. Oh, we got so drunk. It was awesome. No, it wasn't. Trust me, I've been around enough drunk people to know it wasn't awesome. It really wasn't. So, so do not set them up as an example, right? Those who have their minds set on earthly things, about on everything that this world has to offer. The CEO who is far more interested in making money than actually spending time with his family. It will not gain him anything in the end. Consider what the outcome is. Because the truth is, there's a warning at the end of that. There's a warning at the end of that that says, actually, their end is destruction. Do not follow after them. See, Paul knows we are following someone's example. We are pressing on somewhere. It's the call to consider, where are we going? What outcome are we heading towards? And so Paul says, press on to know Christ. Set up good examples in order that you might keep your eyes on the prize. Look back with me at verse 20. Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. See, the truth is, that is the end that we want to strive for. Not, not by our own power, not by our own ability, but actually, Paul says here, by the very uh, power that God has given to you when he will one day transform your life. That, that same power is at work in you now. No, it's not going to be fully transformed. But God is at work in your life. 
right? Paul says that God began this work and he is going to finish this work, right? Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He's not going to abandon you in the middle either, right? This is going to be done by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we press on to know him more, that one day we might attain that prize, that goal that is set before us to be with God in heaven, right? To give holy sweat to know him because the prize is worth it. We're not working for nothing. There is this, this prize, this goal that is waiting for us, this reward that is ours in eternal life with Jesus Christ. If Jesus has saved you, strive for it. Your your labor is not in vain. The prize is worth it. He says we are citizens of heaven. We are already inhabitants of the heavenly city. I love the description of Revelation 21, the prize set before us. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. See, that is a prize worth pursuing. That is a goal worth fighting for. It is something worth pursuing that one day we might know the joy of heaven, that we might dwell with God forever, that no longer is there any barrier between us and God, but he shall be our God. We will be his people. It's worth giving everything in your life for. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison." the call, strive through all the afflictions now to reach the goal of the eternal weight of heaven. Press on to know Jesus Christ more and more, that that might be the end, that you would be with God forever. God has called us to a high calling. He has made us a part of his family, that we might dwell with him. Well, this morning as we close, I'll invite the worship team to come forward again. But as they do, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you to actively be pursuing God this week. See, Jonathan Edwards, he's one of the the men that I, I talked about. He wrote out for himself a list of resolutions when he was about 20 years old. He wrote out this list of resolutions, these principles he wanted to live his life by. And this is number 30. Let me read it. He says, resolved to strive to my utmost every week to be brought higher in religion, his Christian walk, and to a higher exercise of grace than I was the week before. See, Jonathan Edwards set himself a goal. He said, every single week, I want to see in my life a visible increase in my following after Christ. I want to be able to actually say, this is how I am following Jesus more this week than I was last week. 
Can, can I challenge you with that this morning? That, that we would actually find a way, actively pursue something. Maybe that, that starts off with just confessing sin. There's a sin in your life that's been laying low that you've just been become comfortable with. And you need to stop, you need to confess and repent. Maybe that means that you need to actually get rid of some habits. They're not bad habits, but they're distracting. They're constantly leading you away from Christ instead of towards him. Maybe that's what you need to start looking how to change. Maybe you need to start some good ones. You need to put aside time to read your Bible, time to to actually be praying. Maybe you need to find someone who can be an example for you, who can speak into your life to help you run the race better. See, I want to tell you the benefit is worth the cost. It's worth putting your hand into the thorn bush, even if it hurts, the benefit at the end, the goal, the prize that is laid out for us is worth everything we have to give. Let us strive for that this week. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, I I pray, would you be working in our lives so, so powerfully? Would you convict us, call us, bring things to our attention where we can follow you more? Lord, I pray, would we never be satisfied with good enough, but that you have called us into your family. Lord, that you have brought us into your, uh, you have given us your righteousness. Father, might we now live to work that out in our lives, that we might actually be a part of your family. Father, would you give us your Holy Spirit now? that we could actually pursue that. Lord, we are not powerful. We are not strong enough in ourselves, but Lord, you are. So Father, be with us this week, we pray, as we pursue after you. pray these things in your name. Amen.